Welcome, everybody. Another, I can't believe how many hundreds of episodes we've done. Another episode of Hollywood Godfather Podcast. And we, Pat and I just have to thank you all because you keep supporting us. We keep growing. Fortunately, we want you to tell more friends. And remember, starting September 7th, which this will probably be beyond that, we are on Spotify, iTunes, and anywhere else you get. I'm sorry, what, Pat? And, and, and we're on YouTube. And YouTube, yep. And you, uh, yeah. that, that voice you know by well is uh, my partner in crime, writer and friend, Pat Piccarelli. Hi, everybody. I can't believe we've gotten this far, too. It's amazing. Thank God. I mean, it's been, it's been like, went to three and a half years, uh, lots of episodes, and uh, we keep getting better looking. I don't get it. Well, it's, it's the filters. I keep putting I guess filters. that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I forgot about the filters. Okay, Johnny, what are we going to discuss tonight, you and I? Well, as you know, we've been getting a lot of inquiries of many years ago how we talked about the marker business, and a lot of people are inquiring. If some people know about it, some people don't. The good news, uh, I made a, a small fortune in it, and I, 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 I actually created the business because... Well, let's just get into it. A marker is like an IOU in a casino. And uh, before they got into the corporate world, gaming was not allowed to go into state to collect debt. So well, let, me, let me ask you this before we start that. I mean, there's a lot of people go to Vegas to gamble. Who's eligible for credit? Anybody can get it. You, you, Anybody. You give it to your host, yeah, they can check with your bank and they give you a credit line. And if you stop paying it, Anybody can get credit. No, it's like, you know, going to buy a car. You fill out an application, they'll tell you. I, I didn't realize it was that easy. I thought you had to have some kind of a track record. No, no, no. No, that's how they want you to come in. They yeah. they entice new players. You know, they give you $1,000 for slots, let's say. And you yeah. play to it all the time. They'll incre- keep increasing it. As long as you're paying, that's how these people get suckered in, unfortunately. And But what was good about it for a long time, until the corporate world got involved and they changed that whole uh, way of doing it, the marker was the only thing you signed, and you signed it at the table or the cage, and they bring in the chips. And then they actually had a morgue in the, in the casino cage. And I asked about it one day, because it had the sign on it, the morgue. I said, yeah. who's buried in there? They said, markers we can't collect. And they were all markers they couldn't collect. So I said, well, why can't you collect them? Because they said, mean that we induce gaming in Nevada. And, and what a lot of people don't know, gambling is not a, a law-given thing to do in Nevada. It's only recognized by the citizens to allow it because it would be unconstitutional to other residents and other citizens of other states that they didn't have the privilege. So that's why gaming has to be on the ballot, and the people of that state have to vote it in, and which now Boston has, and so many did. But way back then, it only was Nevada, and they tried to keep it that way. Okay, you know, you, you hear stories or you watch movies and somebody doesn't pay their uh, marker, they get a, like a six-foot-five late notice comes to your door, you know? Well, that, that did happen, but, you know, again, it's uh, against the law. So they had people that would collect it, but they were independent contractors, so it wouldn't go back and be judged by the casinos or the gaming okay. commission. So that's basically, I did it more in a in more generally fashion because I said, well, what what how, what what could we do with these? He's well, they're collectible. I mean, you want to collect them? Well, look, before we go any further, yeah. why didn't they try to collect them? Because I just told you, an employee of the casino can't go. Well, I mean, why don't uh, are these out of state gamblers? Most of them, yeah, all out of state. Okay, so they won't send anybody out of state as an independent. They can't. Oh, they can. 
not allowed. It's against the law. You induce gaming. You created the vice. You gave him the money to gamble. And if he can't pay, you can't pay you. You write it off. All right. Things you learn. Yeah, but so that's when I, in my 20s, came up with this idea. I had a partner called Nick Nitty, who's very well respected out of Chicago. I was well respected out of, Chica- out of Chicago and other places early didn't on. Did he have a father? Excuse me? Didn't he have a famous father? Oh, did he ever? I mean, <laughs> his father was Frank Nitty. He was the underboss to Capone, and when Capone went away, he ran Chicago. In fact, he had a, a terrible demise because he was about to be indicted. What most people didn't know, he had claustrophobia. And he had to turn himself in on Monday morning. He knew he wasn't getting out. And he told his wife, they all knew it, they went to church. He went up to his bedroom and then came back down. And unbeknownst to them until they found out what happened, he left his watch and money and all that and a note for her. But he went out to take a walk and he blew his out, blew his brains out. Wow. He was not going Rather to jail. Rather go to prison. Yeah. You know, yeah, claustrophobia. It's, uh, can you imagine a claustrophobic getting getting locked up in a cell? Oh, I know. He, he couldn't either. Okay, so there you are. You you and your partner, Frank Nitty's son. Right. You get this idea. What do you offer the casino? Well, here's what I did. When I went through them, I said, um, I, I said let's look at them. I said, what's the oldest ones? And what's the, in the neighboring states? I like Arizona, California. So when we went in the file cabinets, we took everything that had doctors in front of them. <laughs> oh, you figure you're dealing with professionals. Right. Yeah. So what we did, then we would go to, you know, Beverly Hills, like a Thursday, I mean, a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Cause well, we, let me interrupt you again. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. People who don't know. What was your deal with the casino as far as who got what money? How did you work? Well, well on the oldest ones, we paid 25 cents on, on the marker. So if it was, let's say, $1,000, we paid 250 Up front? No, no. I took them for oh. 30 days. We had no worse capital. What a racket. It was the, it was the, well, it was dead in there anyway, and we were friends of theirs, so they figured, hey, listen, you can go do it, do it. Yeah, they're not losing anything. No. So we took everything that was professional, and we actually made doctors and dentists appointments not to scare them off. Yeah. <laughs> and so what, you go in. We'd go in, and they, they'd call us in, and then for our appointment, we'd go in, and, and they'd say, well, uh, he has to wait outside. Oh, no, he's, he's with me. And they said, what do you mean? Said, well, when the doctor comes, we'll let him know. And then we'd, we'd tell the nurse to get out when he came in. And, you yeah. know, Nick and I didn't look like the normal guy <laughs> coming to get his teeth yeah. fixed. Especially yeah. me. I had, you know, a, a mouthful of capped teeth. And we'd <laughs> show him his marker. That's yeah. been delinquent for so long. And a lot, I had guys cry even. Yeah. And they said, well, we, I knew someday we would come. I said, but well, we don't want to, you know. First of all, are you married? Yeah, and we, try, we want your wife to do What can you pay? You got to give us at least 25% down. Yeah. So then we own the marker. <laughs> oh, but you're going for 100%. Oh, yeah. Oh, we give them the whole 100%. The 100%, we told them we'd lend them the money. You pay us 1% or 2% on that. And whatever you can pay. If you can't pay, can you pay the whole thing? And most of them say, I can't without my wife knowing. Yeah. And that was the other brainstorm we had because we knew everybody in every major city who was running that city. So we would give them a piece of the marker. They'd go collect the money every day, every week. Well, that's that's legitimate overhead. Too bad you couldn't write it off. Right. <laughs> you know, but I, I mean, the 1% or 2% was right. for what? Was that weekly, monthly? That's weekly. Okay, yeah. That's weekly. So, I'm, you know, on, on $1,000, you're talking you know, $20 a week. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's good money. And especially they yeah, gave us the, well, they gave us the 25%, so we paid that off. So the rest of it was gravy. We, we, didn't, we had no out-of-pocket. We didn't, you know, so we had $750, let's say, on a 1000 coming in. And on that, we would, you know, we'd be getting you know, fifteen dollars a week. 
with 60 a month, it's, you know, it's, it, it grows. So these markets were spread. I realize, you, you you know, you want to operate in Arizona, California, because they're close to home. But in reality, how, how far were you guys traveling? Oh, we go to New York, too, Chicago. We'll go anywhere because we had the junk we had the junkin planes anyway. Constantly on the road. Yeah, but what we had not, we were going we were running junkets every Sunday to Thursday, Thursday to uh, Sunday. So the planes turned around. You mean oh, you, oh yeah, he, you, I think you told me once uh uh Nick had a travel agency. Yeah, we had Nitty travel. <laughs> a legitimate oh, oh. travel. <laughs> no, we had it all oh. set up. It was perfect for us. And like we said, a lot of the guys that came on our junkets they were knock around guys to begin with, let's say from Brooklyn. So we'd yeah. get them in on it and say, listen, we're going to give you 25% of this loan. You collect it. You got 25%, nothing up. It was perfect because we didn't have to go no more. They were just, when we saw them, they gave us the money. And we'd, you know, so, we'd, we'd straighten out every month. So at uh, uh, as time went on, you decided who wants to be flying all over the place. You subcontracted a lot of this stuff. Oh, we did that immediately, actually. We didn't do it. We set it up that way, and everybody liked us, even Kansas City, people like that, because we showed them their respect. The guy lives there. We're going to give you 25% of the loan. So let's say the guy owed 10000 They got 25%. They collected. Take their 25%. When we see you, give us the bet, the rest. But don't forget, we, the, the guy already paid off the loan, so we own the yeah. paper for nothing. So, without you telling Kansas City guys and Chicago guys and wherever you were traveling, they wouldn't have known even you were doing this. Well, what we didn't want to do is have somebody run to, like, say, Corky Sabal and say, you know, these guys are shaking me down. It's their guys in the neighborhood. Yeah. So, we protected right. ourselves immediately and said, Corky, here's the guy. He owes us 10000 You You have somebody collected. Keep 2500 of the big, 25% of the big, and 2500 when he's paid up. Why wouldn't they take it? They're putting money on the street. They have no money involved. But not only that, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a reputation enhancer because you, you did a preemptive strike. You right. went to them before somebody else went to them and said, hey, what are these guys doing? That's right? why they did it, yeah. Well, smart. See, and I met all of these guys when I was like 15, 16, 17 because these are all the same guys that I went and visited to get the unions and get the mob to back John F. Kennedy. So they knew who the kid was. Yeah. And they knew, you know, Ocado and Nitty, they were all one group. And they just assumed Maya was with us, everybody was with us. But even Maya, we told Maya, who does he want in Florida to, to collect his money? And we told him about the markers. It was brilliant, actually. I mean, there was millions well, and when we were up and running, I mean, talking about a lot of money. <laughs> How long were you doing this? About 10 years. Wow. No, it was insane. But, but some of the stories are, uh, you know, but wh yes. where, where are they going to go? I mean, you know, I mean, we, I had a, a, like doctors, they were the easiest mark in the world. This one doctor, I couldn't believe it. And I, I thought there was something about him that, you know, was like a little flaky, and uh, but he was gay. But he had a family. Pictures on the the desk and all yeah. that. Well, that happens. But you won't believe what he offered me. I bunked into him and his wife in Beverly Hills at a cafe. Yeah. And he calls me the next day. He says, "My my wife really likes you." I said, "Great. I like country. She's a nice lady." He's no, my wife really likes you. I said. <laughs> Okay, what are you saying? He said, could my wife have her way with you, and what would you give me as a credit against oh. this loan? <laughs> I couldn't believe the guy. I mean, I could not. I could no longer get an erection with this girl. Uh, well, oh, well, it's like, yeah. insane. How could yeah, I? How, how much you uh, loved his wife by how much credit he was, he was asking for. Well, I mean, it's so crazy. I mean, oh, wow. that's how bizarre it was. No, we were offered, like, you know, uh, dental work. We were offered stuff, the stuff we didn't want. We want money. We don't care about your wife. We don't care about dental work. Talk about desperados, my God. So you get, I mean, you get professional people, doctors, lawyers, dentists, whatever. 
they knew the score. They knew when, when they left the state, no one's no, no one was going to bother them, and they just right. in, intentionally split. And, and we're not going back. But you know what's interesting? A lot of these guys, once they started paying us, and the market was paid, they didn't know only twenty five percent of it. They were allowed back in, and they let them back in. We wanted them back in too. Was uh, losing more money. Hello, it's just you know, it's like it's just a rolling snowball down the hill. <laughs> I remember you were telling me when we were writing the book, it was a really sad story about a restaurant tour. Oh, my See, God. Just refresh your memory, this guy. Nick DiMasselli, the rapper. Yeah, yeah. No, they, I mean, there's a, there's a, I mean, that's the sad part of the business. Some of these guys, like Frank, Frank DiMasselli and his brother, they own the Rafters restaurant. I met them with the Ballesteris, who ran Milwaukee, and very prominent guys. But then I saw him. Then he he was one of those guys that loved hanging out with Sinatra. You know, there's a whole entourage of these guys that came every time Sinatra was there. And they'd belly up at crap tables, 21 tables with Sinatra to say they were playing with Sinatra. But they're paying. You know, they're, now they're playing instead of, you know, 500 a card, they're playing 1,000, 2,000 a card to be playing with Sinatra. And I watched this guy, and I, I bailed him out two or three times. We cut off his credit. He'd keep coming back. He wound up going broke. He was living in an apartment, an apartment in Nevada. After lost, losing lost, everything. Lost, lost his family, lost everything. Everything, everything. But I, that's one of the thousand stories like that. I've seen people, I mean, this weekend, I was at the uh, Travis you know, they, uh, I, I gave the award to Travis, and they just opened a new club. Oh, Saratoga. In Saratoga, 1863, it's called. It's a high-end uh, extension to the Saratoga racetrack. It's right on the 50-yard line. They have box seats, restaurants, air-conditioned, everything else. It's $200 a head to walk in it a day. <laughs> unless you what buy do you get a, Unless you buy a member. Membership, but it only operates eight weeks a year while the track is there. But talk about people! I'm, I mean, I was watching guys just because they wanted to be there, and then you know they have the windows, two thousand dollar window, thousand dollar window, five hundred dollar window. So you're not going to go to a ten dollar window when you're up there. So you, they force you on your ego, and I watched it. I mean, I, I, I said this is insane what they're doing to these people. And a lot of old guys with, a, with their daughters, as we, as we used to say, just yeah. showing off. But it's... Uh, you uh, you uh, sang up there too, right? I, I have to tell our audience. I, I, and they made, some of them saw it. I sang. I, the, Travis is the biggest race. Yeah, Travis Cup. Yeah, and it's amazing. Yeah. And I gave the trophy to Travis Weekend. And I sang because of the 50th anniversary of The Godfather. And I sang the theme from The Godfather on the racing network that goes around the world. It's got the largest viewing. Over 140 million people watch this. Every racetrack, every computer at a racetrack, even sports places off the track that have those cables in so people can watch what they're betting and how the races are going. Especially during COVID, it really expanded into restaurants all over the place, and they allowed it. And I, you know, it was, I mean, I was getting texts and emails from all through the night because it shows that the time slot in that area or whatever it may be. So, you know, Australia saw it 12 hours after we did it in that time wow. slot. But it was great exposure for us. Uh, are you a horse player at all? Well, I, I, I play just because I was there. And yeah. thank God, because I, I, I left it with a few dollars. You know, but I mean, I just gambled. $100 there, $100 there. The most they did, like, a, a, I boxed $100 or $300 a race. But those races, I won four major races. All right. But, you know, if you start chasing that, I never gambled. I mean, even casinos. I mean, I'd go out at night, spend a thousand dollars just to sit around with people, if they were in town. But then I'd bring them back to my place, and I had my own casino, so I got it all back from them too. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, how about we uh, make some money? Okay, please. Okay. 
We'll be right back. It's time to do a commercial or two. I'm now known as the Hollywood Godfather, and this is my story. I'm happy to say Hollywood Godfather Rapography is now playing on most platforms. Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music. Listen to Joel Ortiz, famous rapper and Arsenic the Heat Breaker, multi-platinum producer for Sony. Produce this record. I'm proud of it. There's 12 tracks. You got to listen to this. You never know who you're lying in a room with So I broke a broomstick in half and let it groove with The concrete in the bathroom floor It had a new tip stashed it behind the toilet In case I ever had to use it Corleone Vodka on March 9th Was picked as the best vodka for martinis in the world By the Rob Report By calling 518-713-4050 Or 518-220 9463. It could be shipped directly to your house. The finest vodka in the world by Rob Report. Okay, we're back. So now we're going to tell you how the federal government got involved indirectly in my business by bringing a guy in that we all know his name well from the aircraft and movie business, Howard Hughes. This is how Howard Hughes got into Vegas. Very few people know that. And, and Pat does because he was on the job and, and the, the people that he had working for him. The American government offered Howard Hughes an aircraft character contract, major contract for the government, with the understanding that he'd start buying up hotels because they had to get their finger on it and they had to start to control the revenue of taxes that nobody was paying. And everybody knew that there was a lot of money being made and nobody was declaring anything. I mean, a basic cocktail waitress in a casino made three or 400 a night. Maybe she claimed $40 for the night in Texas. So they put Howard Hughes in. He bought his first hotel. And then he, then he wound up buying four. But he brought in Bill Dana, Bob Mayhew, which you know, Pat, you were going to do a book Ex, about him. Uh, uh, former CIA guy. Uh, yeah. It, it was said at the end of Howard Hughes' uh, very sad life, at the end anyway, that uh, Bob Mayhew was running that empire. Oh, he was. I, I watched him do it. I got to meet, because of my connections with uh, the Del Webb and them, one of the hotels he bought which was mob controlled out of, out, of, out of Detroit. And Cleveland was the Desert Inn. And here's this Howard Hughes with all his hair. And he actually became a recluse up in that penthouse. Yeah, I know. Yeah. For a year and a half. No, I mean, you know that, but our audience <laughs> don't. And supposedly someone, and I know Bob Mayhew had to know, they, they strung him out on heroin. He was up there. His fingernails were growing. His hair growing. He yeah, was, yeah. There was uh, there was no pictures of him. He would conduct business through the door. Yep. Nobody saw no, him. No, yeah. He ran this empire. It was a worldwide empire. This guy owned Pan Am Airways. I mean, this guy was a huge. He was one of the world's richest men. No one ever saw him. He nope. never bathed. Hung out in his pajamas. Never cut his hair. And this was toward the end. Yeah. I mean, when he was young, he was a playboy. Oh my uh, God! He was dating movie stars. If it was on planes, he was dating movie stars. He made major motion pictures. He, he discovered a lot of a lot of people, and it was said that the crashes he was in, uh, he had some brain damage, and that that's what m- might have caused his uh, the, the way he, he you know conducted his life at the very end. But well, uh, I think never- the government was using. I know that for a fact. Let me just tell you that they started saying that because there was no reason in the world that this guy would be doing what he was doing later on the way he was doing it. But that's the only way the government could cover it up. Even his family from Texas, they, they, he, he, he wrote letters to them where he never wanted to see them again, isolated them. And that's why, you know, when he died, they airlifted him, the family, overruled everybody and brought the body back to Texas because Texas they could share in the, in the estate. Well, they were ready to sweep this guy under a rug. Well, they did fly him to Paradise Island, you know. They what? 
They flew him one time at night to Paradise Island. He bought um, Merv Griffin's hotel down there, and he was there. So they took him out of the country. Now they had his kids and them, or whoever's running his estate, had no rights because now he's not in the government and he's not in the United States government. He was in the Bahamas. Yeah, they had a caricature of him. Uh, literally, no one saw him for many, 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 many years. He never left that hotel room. The right. food was was uh, delivered to him by a dumb waiter. No one ever saw him. Right. But somebody uh, said that they did. It was a flash when he opened the door for something. His fingernails were a foot long. His hair was down to his knees. He didn't bathe. Uh, what a life. No, he, he had like six guys that were up on that floor, but Mayhew was like the main guy, like you said. And, and Danner and all these other guys ran, ran the whole empire. And it was getting big. They, were, they, were buying, they bought the Sands. They bought, you know, they bought the, the, uh, they bought the Landmark, the Sands, the Desert Inn. They bought four or five great hotels, well-established. And then they, you know, but what they did do, where I was going with the story, the FBI actually put agents, female agents as cocktail waitresses, agents became card dealers, so they even knew what the card guys were making, the dealers. And all, and all this income tax, they had them up to seven years and go back on it. And when they found out how much money that they were really making, just underlings, just counterweights. That's how much money they were losing. And then they realized how much money they were making in the cages because for a while, you know, the, the same people that were running the cages, or the mob guys, they, they needed to leave the mob guys in there for a while. But they had guys watching them and they saw bags leaving and, you know, like we were moving money. That's what Nick and I were doing earlier on, was taking money to, to the Vatican and laundering it through, through the, uh, what was called the Banca de Roma, which the only branch was the branch in Chicago, because Masinkas was from Chicago, and Bishop Masinkas. <laughs> and he was the head fiduciary to the Vatican. So they had it all down. Now they, they were ready to go and crack was, it. Crack was, it. Yeah, we wrote about this in the book. Uh, the uh, the uh, trips you made, how you did it. And, uh, was this this was after the Marvels? Yeah, well, this was we were just doing we were doing the junkets and markers, and then we started moving this, and we kept we kept the markers going because we didn't need anybody because the guys that were collecting for us, we would just send them markers to collect. We didn't have to, and to, they, yeah, no work. You get no, a percentage and yeah, that's but, it. But uh, there came a time when you were starting to cut, you know, cut some of these people breaks. Oh, I had them. Because, like even, even uh, well, I, I, the guy we were talking about before, De Baselli, there was a lot of times he'd come in my place and lose 10000 I'd give him 5000 back and keep the marker. I said, put this in your pocket and go home. He said, come on. I said, stop. You got to stop. I was just trying to let him know even gambling for nothing, you're losing. Without your money, you're still losing. You you, you got a monkey on your back. That's crazy. People uh, people scoff at the idea that gambling is uh, is a disease. I believe it. Oh, I do too. I think any any habit forming thing, which it's habit forming, it becomes an addiction. You got to go play. Well, I have to say, my younger sister, my younger sister, I bailed her out three or four times. I don't want to mention her name, but. I bailed her out three or four times, and every time. And then when my mother died, the house was deeded in her name. I figured she took care of my mother. And then the bank called me one time and said, Mr. Russo, he says, uh, are you having financial problems? I said, no, you know I'm not. He said, well, we know your accounts are not, but the house, I can't tell you where it was because then you know who this is in it, is defaulted eight months so already. And... Your sister came in to take out a second mortgage on it. A gambler. A gambler. A gambler. A slot gambler. So they how call you, me, you know. It's a machine. <laughs> you sit in front of a machine. I mean, in other words, it isn't even a, a battle of wits. You're playing poker. You're playing blackjack. You can have strategies, you, you know, but it's a slot. You have to lose. I know. 
I mean, not only the odds, I mean, they, 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 and then, you know, the, the people who think, like my sister knows, they watch people play a machine for hours. And as soon as they get up, they sit at it. This is going to win. So they stop betting into it. It's a machine. <laughs> it's, 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 there's only a certain odds that come out of each machine. It's set up that way. I know people uh, around here that are like that. Uh, gambling is legal here. There's casinos all over the place around here. Uh, we're, we're, we're in a, in a tri-state area. All the states have uh, legal gambling. But people will spend their entire day sitting in front of a slot thinking that, the, you know, that's just dumb luck whether you're going to win or oh, not. Oh, I know. But, I mean, but you know, you, you, you mentioned the story about your sister. I don't know if I ever told you the story about my, my father. He owned a, a bar restaurant. He never, ever took a vacation, this guy, because... You know, owning a bar, restaurant, oh, yeah. or any kind of—you have to be there. You're not there, especially in the neighborhood. Gonna, gonna rob you blind. Hello. Anyway, one day he—I he, now I was pestering him. I was young, ten years old. I was pestering him to uh, take me to Florida. I'd never been to Florida. And a good friend of his, an FBI agent, uh, uh, lived down there. Anyway, get on a plane, go down to Florida. Had a great time. I mean, a 10-year-old kid, all that water and everything. It was in the middle of the winter. It was beautiful. We come back to my father's place. This is a bar, a licensed premises, down the block from the 5th Precinct in uh, NYPD. Three blocks from City Hall. Courts all over the place. Judges, you couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting a judge or a cop. He, at that, he was open 24-7 because he was paying everybody off. Wow. Uh we, we go back to the rent. The first thing, you know, I, I could tell he was getting agitated. He wanted to get back, you know. So after like five or seven days, we go back. Uh, they didn't have any long-term parking or anything back. They had to take a cab. Take a cab back. And it, it was a Sunday. And the door was closed, which was odd because it never closed. Oh, wow. So he's locked. He's trying to put the key in. And the key doesn't work. So this guy opens the door. And he says, yes. Uh... The guy was a family relation. I don't want to. I don't want to get too much into it. But he says, "Yeah, what's going on?" So he said, "What do you mean? What's going?" Oh no, it wasn't a family relation. It, it was. I'll tell you in a minute. A stranger. He says, "What's going on?" So my father said, "What do you mean? What's going on? This is my place. Said, this isn't your place. I just bought it from." And he mentioned a family relation that he bought it from. Oh Passed himself God. off as my father, oh a my gambler, God. wow, a gambler, and sold sold the restaurant out from under him. You know, it took like an hour and a half to get it back. You know, you don't. <laughs> Hello, yeah. You know, for those of you who don't know, in that neighborhood at that time, you don't do something like that. No. You know, and you, the guy it. who the guy who sold your father's restaurant was a, a gambler and in debt. That's why he sold it. Yeah, he was in debt, and I, you know, I was. I mean, I didn't know about who was going to get hurt or who was going to what. I mean, I was scared. My father lost his temper <laughs> but uh, yeah he, he got it back but it just it just goes to show you the the, the 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 grip you know it's like being a junkie when you're a junkie you're you, you have the same kind of a habit but you can't function if you're a gambler you can function your mind is always turning you're out there trying to do a score trying to make some money uh yeah you know looking back on it it's funny you know but oh yeah it, it's also very tragic Oh, I've seen so many tragic, tragic stories where guys lost their houses and then, then they foreclosed and pulled up with moving trucks and the, and the wife said, what are you talking about? <laughs> and they showed him the papers and they had to walk out. You know, the worst thing I've seen, and I've seen it several times, college money. Oh, my God, yeah. I'll get, I'm going to put it back. I'll put it back. So he's not going to college for another two years. <laughs> Well, the, the, the wives don't even know that the money was being spent. It's not a question of putting it back. Knowing you blow 60 grand on your son's uh, education money, you can't say I'm going to put it back. Your wife's going to know you're not putting it back. Hello. I'm, lives destroyed. And forget forget the wife, if, if you will. And that's a tragedy on itself. But your kids. Oh, I know. Kids well, like you said, it. it's, it's a, it is, I, I, well, I mean, I spent 30 years off and on. I was in Vegas for 30 years from 59 to 89, at least two or three days a week. So I knew that's a lot of time. And I've watched it and seen it and biggest guy. I, I mean, a, a guy that I really knew, a billionaire, everybody knows who he is, Roger King, King World. He created, yeah. you know, all the game shows. You'll still say the King, King World and Oprah Winfrey, 
Martha Stewart, Judge Judy. He found all these people. This guy was a degenerate, degenerate gambler and a cokehead. And they used to let him do lines on a table, which they could have lost their license with. But he was, he'd lose a million, two million, three million. And then I had the pleasure a couple of times, he'd go to the clinic in Switzerland to get rehabilitated. Oh, oh to get clean. Yeah. So he'd go there for like six, seven weeks. He wanted his friends to go. <laughs> he included me to go. I'd go just for fun. He was a character. I mean, Roger King, anybody knew Roger, he was the best. But he, hundreds of millions of dollars he lost. Thank God he was how many times? How many times did he try to clean up? Once a year he goes. <laughs> he was going once a year. And then, you know, there was just he, he, all the tissue and everything. There was no way you can just keep rebuilding it. Some famous people we know went blind by it. And they started snorting this cocaine, man. And this, it, it gets out of control. I know uh, a couple of Wall Street guys during the 80s. They had more money than they know what to do with. I mean, it was boom time, yeah. 80s, or early 90s, before the crash, uh, even up to 2008. The one guy was so addicted to coke, and they said, "Well, you know, it's it's not physically addictive, and it's not; it's psychologically addictive, which is just as bad." Right. But uh, and this guy uh, ran out one night. We were at a party, a whole bunch of us, and uh, he 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 ran out of blow. He winds up drinking his own urine. What? Because he drank his own urine. Because there was drugs in it. Remnants of coke. Yeah. Wow. He wound up. He wound up losing. Everything, wife, kids, and everything. Uh, I, I did a lot of work for uh, uh, the local affiliate NBC uh, in New York, NBC News, five o'clock news. Right. I when, when they had a hard time uh, on investigations, uh, I would I would have the case, and there was a uh, a producer there who shall we may name us because I don't know where he is today. He went from a straight arrow and started uh, hanging out with uh, with me and uh, you know we jumping around the clubs headliner on 8th Avenue and back and then he just got he tried coke one night and that was the end within within record time less than six months he lost everything wow. lost his job lost his wife and kids coke that's amazing I told I, I've, I've seen it you know I've, I've been around the industry film music all that even in Vegas I mean these guys they get they get hooked onto that stuff I could never. I mean, I. I mean, I love Tony Curtis. He's passed, and when we did Lepke, I mean, this guy would take stuff to get up in the morning. Or the stuff, and they, then then he's handing stuff out to kids on the set. I said, "What are you crazy? Ah, oh, this can't hurt you. How can't hurt you? I mean, forget about it. It's it's that that's a deadly disease, man. And, and that, I take that, everything. If you if you have kids, that's that, and uh, knowing. Johnny, what, what you and I know, I mean, that was my worst fear, drugs. Oh, me too. Them get, you know, you, you want to smoke a little weed? Yeah, go ahead. Who cares? But, but some of these, I can't tell you how many since I've been here, and when these kids came of age in, in, in their teen years, which was only about 10 years ago, and I'm not exaggerating, I would say out of their group, I would say six ODs died. Wow. Heroin. Yeah. In your, in your community there? Not even a community, a, a social circle. He had a, a, a chief of police's son OD'd. This is when uh, fentanyl came into into style. Oh, so we're talking wow. two, three years ago. Very good. A friend of mine lived about, about four doors down from me. His son, uh, he was in pre-med, everything going for him. The first time he did a line, he died. One line, dead. And why is that? I mean, I'm, I'm so naive to it. Laced, oh, they laced, laced with it. fentanyl. Oh, my God. Jesus. And he, he just... And his parents said, no, this kid, I mean, he was always in the gym with his dad. And I was always in the gym. And I used to, uh, you know, say, this is great. You know, father and son working out together. I said, this is great. And they did. They worked out together all the time. Used to see them there all the time. And then one day he just wasn't there. He, he went to his room. He was out partying with his friends. And somebody said, here, try this. I think he thought it was Coke. Looks the same. White powder is white powder. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, that was a wake-up call. That scared the hell out of me. Because that kid yeah. and my my sons were the same age, and uh, you know I I made them swear. But what does that mean? If you're going to do it, you're going to do it. You think you're you're 
you're invincible. You're never going to die. But fortunately, my, my boys didn't go that route. Well, yeah, I mean, you're fortunate. Well, even me, with all the kids I have, and I, I, I can't take credit for it, we never had a, a drug problem. You know, my oldest son is, what, 60? And my youngest <laughs> and my yeah, youngest. Wow. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I don't know. yeah, I had my first kid. I was like 19, just turned 19. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, we went, this evening, we, we, uh, we went from uh, Marcus to the Vatican to junkie actors. What, what topics haven't we covered? Oh, I know what we didn't do. We didn't do the mailbag. Oh, yeah, we got to do the mailbag. We're going to take a break and come back with the mailbag. All right. All right, please. I I have to go to my other electronic device here, and I'll open it up. That was good, Mitch. It's the 40 minutes right up there. Perfect. I think that we're mixing it up a lot, too. It just keeps them hooked. You know, this is why I get this constantly that people say it's just like you two guys you're just talking just hanging out they love it i know, you know, it's not, you know they're living you through, vicariously through us <laughs> there you go you can tell it's not rehearsed oh yeah and that's why you know but I, I see but you and i got a guy like jeffrey dash and people like that around me they said you're you tell guys the rhythm you got now you can go anywhere you want with this show oh yeah well yeah it's good because we can do this in our sleep Okay, where, where am I going here? Oh, okay, I gotta find this shit. Go. Go ahead. All right, okay. All right, we're back. For the best part of all our shows is always the mailbag, because you are letting us know what you want whether by just questions or even doing a show, which we do a lot of shows based on your recommendations and inquiries. And, and well, yeah, and I, I went over the emails and we, we have quite a few interesting ones here. Uh, some we'll do tonight. Others we'll do for uh, an entire uh, uh, email show. But anyway, let's go. From Jimmy for Gianni. Gianni, with all the time you spent in Vegas, did you ever get... Uh, get into gambling action what games do you play if so what any strategies by the way i uh, went to the golden steer and sat at the ralph lamb table i uh i highly recommend listeners uh, go there when in vegas oh yeah it's a great steak joint ron sahara is still there in fact wow. one, one of my one of my workers is there running it from state street really the, the golden steer yeah no still but the answer questions about gambling uh I basically was a you know a casual gambler because I, I, I was making a lot of money, but I would never go out and lose more than a thousand dollars. If friends would came in, I'd sit with them at the table, and you know, ironically, I'd win most of the time. <laughs> but you know, I I never got caught by that bud. Thank God. I watch guys, I, you know, people in the business all day, dealers. They deal all night, then they go with all their money, and they go to another because they're gonna lose it all. Themselves. Well, you you you, you consider an expert in uh, what's that game? I can't think. But oh no! That, oh, earlier on, that was backgammon. Backgammon, right? Yeah. Sorry. No, yeah. That, no. I we gambled on that, but people gave me they backed me on those. No, but the the one game I did like that I fell in love with in Europe a lot was the Chemin de Fer, which is basically baccarat, and when they yeah. open baccarat tables, that's probably the best odds if you can. Control you yourself to sit. And if watch. you know how to, yeah, you know the game. It's uh, it's an easy game. Nine's nine's the number. Natural nine. Five and four. Seven two. Six three. And that's you get down. You you can't get beat. <laughs> how did you get into backgammon? That's that's not a Lower East Side game, you know. Well, you know why? Because a lot of, a lot of times I was spending in Europe, and and I had a lot of people like playing that. Anand Khashoggi. We'd be hours playing that, even on my boat. You know, I bought my boat when I was 21. That was a great pastime game on boats. And internationally, you know, it's the oldest game known to mankind. Did you know that? I know, yeah. The ancient Egyptians played it. Yeah. So, and I really liked it. Because, you know, it was a combination of luck with the dice and the cube. Yeah. And then mathematics. You had to know, you know, how many pips to go where and do what with them. And uh, so you're playing pips 
cube, and dice. The dice so gave I, you your roll. And I, then, how good did you get? I played for million dollar tournaments. <laughs> What made you stop? Other things came into your life? Well, yeah, no, you know, it's like anything else. Once you win two or three, I was playing with Omar Sharif. I played all these guys. They were great. I mean, things. But, you know, it's like I get bored with stuff. Just, but I'm not going to do this for 20 years. Forget about it. You get the excitement's over, you know. It's probably like, the, like wives and girls, you know. After a certain time, the excitement's gone. <laughs> Uh, okay. Uh, from Albert, who is singing "Speak Speak Softly, Love" on your podcast? Wonder who that could be. It's the best version I've ever heard. That's me. <laughs> I know. Oh. Yeah. Oh, you didn't know that? Thank you for the indirect compliment. I'm singing it. That's Gianni Russo. It's a, there's an album called Reflections. You can buy it on our podcast. I'm on our website. Yeah, it's still, it's still, and, it's, and it's I still did that with Caesar's. I did that with Sinatra's orchestra when he was at Caesar's. We did, we did that in the daytime, and he paid for the whole session. I didn't ask him to do that. I thought I was paying for the session, but it was. I, I really like that, and I, it's a great compliment. Thank you. It is. It's a, it's a great song. Uh, when, what year did you record that originally? Oh, in the 80s, 80, 80, in 80s, 83, 4, 5, like that. Well, I had State Did, Street. Is that, is that what you sang in Saratoga? Oh, yeah. I, I sang that this Saturday. You wouldn't believe it, the response. Yeah. Well, there was 47,000 people that Saturday to hear it live, and then 140 million on the networks. But I got things from Abu Dhabi, emails from when they, when they finally saw it, because they share that on those big races. That's yeah. why you, if you're going to go to the track show, you try to go and be notified, noticed rather. And I asked the, 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 the racing commission if I could have the privilege of giving the trophy, being it was the 50th anniversary to Godfather. And ironically, Speak Softly Love was the theme song from The Godfather. Okay. Uh, I, this is from uh, Lynette. Johnny, I enjoy your podcast. I've uh, read your book a couple of times and wound it out several times. So much that I had to order another for my bookshelf so it doesn't look so worn. Inquisitive <laughs> by nature. So I'd be interested in knowing how you went from the hospital, Bellevue, she must be talking about, to basically getting the education in life. I know Frank played a major role, meaning Costello, I guess. Right. But I'm talking about the basics, learning to read, et cetera. You always come across as a well educated person. Uh, not just street smarts, but uh, educated, if that makes sense. You're very well spoken. You and Patrick uh, have one of the most professional podcasts I've listened to. I listen to uh, many, and, and the, the fact that you rarely use profanity puts you at the top of the list. I listen to Sammy's podcast, it's Sammy the Bull. Oh, my God. Uh, and at the end, <laughs> he said, uh, if you like this, click it. If not, too mother effing bad. <laughs> that, that ended it for me. You hold yourself to a higher standard, and I, for one, appreciate that. And we do, too. And thank you for recognizing it. That's one thing that Pat and I spoke about. We, don't, we are not the people who use that profanity when we're not on radio. Yeah. We, we, you know, we, we respect the women and children around us. And I'm, I'm constantly correcting people publicly when they're talking like that with the F word and all, I say, excuse me, I'm sitting here with women that can hear what you're saying. And uh, they calm down, but it, it's gotten out of order. And, well, our comedians, obviously, we all heard that happen in the last 10, 20 years. Everything is the F word and everything else, and they think it's politically correct, and it's not. So I'm glad you recognize it. And, and uh, what about, uh, she makes reference to your education or your educational standards? Well, my educational standards, basically, I'm, I'm a mimic. I listen to people. I used to go, when Costello would go home for dinner, a lot of times I'd find myself at the Palm Court at the Plaza Hotel just watching people how they ate. You know, uh, my father used to bury his head in the dish <laughs> to get the food. 
Now, you know, you, you got the right proper fork and you put it up. And I just watched and learned because I didn't want to be a, a D's and D's guy, which I could have been. But I wanted to, you know, better myself, which I'm constantly learning every day. Something. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm a college professor. I got, I got more degrees than a thermometer. But I'm not a great believer in education, believe it or not. Reading, uh, listening to people, learning how to speak, and learning on your own. Geometry is not going to get you anywhere in this world. Yeah. You know? I mean, uh, uh, I mean, I love educating people. Don't get me wrong. I like, uh, my my uh, idea of education is teaching people how other people live. You know, uh, facts, dates. I, I'll never give an exam with a date on it. And in, in, in 1714, what happened in, in, in Scotland that we should be made aware of? Who cares? <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, I mean it's, yeah. that's not my way of teaching. Well, maybe that's why I'm not teaching this semester. <laughs> they, don't, they never call me back. What are you going to do? Well, anyway. you've, ta you've taught enough. It's time, it. time to relax. we got a lot of going on here. Yeah, we have other things. Anyway, uh, that's it, my friend. Well, that uh, was very tonight. nice one to close with that one. Thank you, my darling. And stay, stay tuned, please, all of you. Uh, another great podcast, Pat. Yes. See yeah. you here again next week. Our listeners, remember, now you can watch us on iTunes, is it? What I, uh, oh, well, we've always been on iTunes and Spotify, but uh, we'll be on uh, YouTube. Oh, YouTube, uh, yeah. Live and in person on video uh, the week after Labor Day. That's the plan. Yeah. Seven. So we've we're, been we're going live on the 7th because we like the 7th, Wednesday the 7th. Not that we aren't live now. I mean, I feel good. I can't speak to <laughs> you. Uh, yeah, you know, we're gonna have we, we have a lot of guests, and we'd like you to see uh, what, what they look like. You know. And, uh, yep. So it's gonna right, be something great. different. Good night. God bless you all. Stay safe, and we'll be back here next week. See you next week. Good night, John. Good night. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell Thank me you for I'll tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. I'll be around.